Welcome to Engaging Culture, a podcast presented by Bridgeway Christian Church. I'm Brian Kiley, Director of Connections at Bridgeway Christian Church, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Senior Pastor Lance Hahn. We'll be talking about Christian cultural engagement, why Christian cultural engagement matters. We'll share our own stories of how we've engaged with culture as Christians, and we'll talk through a, th- a few different ways that Christ followers can engage with the culture around them in a healthy manner. Well, hello and welcome to episode one of the Engaging Culture Podcast. I'm here with Senior Pastor Lance Hahn. Lance, how are you? I am doing excellent. Is this is this season one, episode one? Season one, episode one mm. of the Engaging Culture Podcast. I've been watching too much Netflix, so I always have to make sure we have the right episode. I have to make sure we have the right episode. We are live on Facebook right now, so thanks to those of you who have joined us online, and thanks to those of you who are listening to the podcast, this is, uh, once again, our very first episode, and just to give you a sense of how this show is going to work, there will be, in general, two different types of episodes. One type will be Lance and myself discussing a specific cultural issue or current event, and then the second type of episode will involve one or both of us discussing uh, a cultural issue or event with a guest, hopefully an expert guest. Yeah, it better be better than us. Better I mean, than if, us. Yeah, I, I think our bar is pretty low. I was gonna say that's that's that is a very very low a very low bar. So so today is our our introduc- introductory episode, and so Lance and I are going to be talking a little bit about culture in general and how we can engage culture uh, in a healthy manner. But first, question for us to talk about Lance is we are in general we're uh, Bridgeway. For those who don't know, is a expository Bible teaching church. We teach through books of the Bible, and that is our focus. We don't really tend to get sidetracked much with cultural issues. We don't even tend to get sidetracked much with even seasons in the year or things like that. We just, you know, we have the text and we go where the text goes. So in general, uh, with some exceptions, but in general, we haven't really gotten that involved in talking about cultural issues that much. So so why a podcast like this for, from your perspective? Why why? do this? Well, I, I think it's a matter of two different uh, elements of calling that, that I believe that Jesus Christ has for us multiple purposes. And when we are fulfilling the office in the local church, so when we're in the pulpit, right, you, you preach, I preach, uh, Pastor Parnell, Bishop Lovelace, he preaches. Uh, we have a number of incredible teachers. When we're fulfilling that office, we have a very specific job to do, and it is to directly focus on Jesus Christ, lift up his name, and remain fixed to that calling. So that's why I've always been very, very resistant to using it as an opportunity to do a lot of other great, wonderful Christian things. Mm -hmm. Once again, they're not bad, but I just needed a different outlet. We needed a different platform. And I believe that this type of platform, now it not only becomes appropriate, it becomes an excellent way where we can spend a little bit more time and, and talk about it. I think that one of the things you and I have have spent a lot of time talking about is how limited the pulpit is and how confusing it is with the audience. When you have a very short amount of time to tackle very complicated issues in a group setting where they're all there for different reasons. So for example, I want to focus in the church on 
on how Jesus can transform a life if someone's coming in with a lot of hurt and pain. They don't want to talk about the issues. Mm-hmm. Well, on a podcast or something like this live, they will tune in going, I'm in a place where I'm ready to receive that. And then everything is game on, right? Yep. So for me, I thought this was an incredible opportunity for us to get to stuff that you and I talk about behind the scenes, right? right. We're always talking about this stuff. We believe that Jesus Christ, I mean, he bleeds into every single thing that we do and every element of our life. So we talk about him in terms of parenting. We talk about him in terms of the news. We talk about him in terms of politics. We talk, And so we finally get an opportunity to, to engage that kind of stuff. Absolutely, yeah, and it, and it is important, and I, and I love the sort of the philosophy we have of recognizing the role of the worship service in the spiritual growth of a, of a Christ follower, that that really is the place to focus on the scriptures, to focus on, on that sort of a thing. But then a passion, again, that you and I share is also to say, okay, how can, how can there be an appropriate environment for conversations about what's going on in culture? Because I think an important question for us to ask is, is our cultural engagement or, or sort of the, the tribes we put ourselves in culturally or the way we understand what's going on in the world, is our cultural engagement affecting the way we view our faith or is our faith commitments, are, are what we believe about the scriptures, what we believe about who God is and what we believe about who he's called us to be, is that affecting the way that we then engage with the culture around us, interpret what's going on in the culture around us, because it's really easy to get those backwards. Would, would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. I mean, all, it's your starting point, right? What's your foundation? Yeah. Are you going to come into examining the world? Let's use, for example, something that's obviously always controversial, <laughs> um, that you would walk into this life and say, I'm going to begin with, a, and God created the heavens and the earth? Are we going to begin at that place and then interpret life through that lens? Or am I yeah. going to say, according to my culture in this time, uh, evolution still has a very strong following. Um, and so in a lot of the universities, it is taught that we are a random accident. If I'm going to begin on that platform, then I interpret and allow the culture to say, this is actually what's going on, and I try to fit God into it. And that is a completely different ballgame. So you have to determine where's your starting point. Yeah, absolutely. So so before we get into talking about different ways that Christians in general can engage culture, I thought it might be helpful for, for Lance and I to share a little bit about our own perspective of just how we... I mean, separating out what is kind of your life as a pastor versus the rest of your life is is nearly impossible. So, so I'm not trying to do that, but to be able to say just how, how do you, Lance, as an individual, how has your faith, your relationship with Christ impacted the way that you've engaged with the culture around you? Yeah. So, so I am the quintessential, um, what I hope my children become, and, and, and Susie and I have tried to raise them in this manner. I grew up where God was in the air that I breathe. So I have no development time without him being an assumed. So therefore, everything, I started at one platform, and then I began to rework my world. I began to engage and say, well, this according to reality would mean that this is true. And I began to kind of filter it out. So for me, I have looked at, and and, and it maybe not as typical, I was built by God in the way of the people that I was around and the environment. I was built by looking at the world around me through the lens of ministry. Mm-hmm. So I saw myself as a servant of others. I saw myself as a helper of others. I saw myself um, in really trying to role model Jesus. So the Bible for me became a really a handbook 
as to how to navigate life. And and for me, he became my father, right? Mm-hmm. I do have a, a really, really close relationship with my dad, even though, you know, he wasn't necessarily in my house growing up. Mm-hmm. I have an incredible loving relationship with my dad. Mm-hmm. But the Bible says that that really the heavenly father is my is my true father. Well, that actually became true, and I began to pattern my life on a biblical concept. So when I engaged with culture... Everything was led through that lens. Mm-hmm. So, well, what about you? Yeah, I think that that my my perspective on this is is I mean, you've got the uniquenesses of your of your perspective. I mean, I think mine being not raised in an environment where faith was a big deal. It was a very loving and supportive household, still a loving and supportive family, but but faith was not a significant part of my upbringing, but became a very important part of my life, teenager and beyond. I think I spent a lot of time figuring out this this balance, not even balance, but this this approach to how does my faith impact the way that I think about the world around me. And and part of the reason why I, I kind of asked the question I raised earlier is about is how we view culture affecting our faith or is how we view faith affecting our culture is because that's something I've wrestled with a lot myself is to say, okay, am I taking my own presuppositions, beliefs, things that are just genetically wired into me (laughs) and then superimposing them upon the scriptures and trying to say, well, this is what the Bible says and this and that. Or am I allowing what God says about reality? Am I allowing what God says about how I am to behave as a student, as an employee, as eventually as a husband, father, and all that stuff? Am I allowing that to shape my approach to those different areas? Am I allowing, so for example, I think in so many, and this is a big deal in my own life, something I try to wrestle with, in so many different silos of our culture, truth-telling is undervalued. Oh, so true. Truth-telling is undervalued because the most important thing is to uh, spin what is happening in a way that benefits your side. That makes no sense to me. I'm not going to say that I never do it because I, I want to be self-aware. <laughs> sure. Know that sure. I, I, th- I think we do fall into the same <laughs> trap. We do. But... To realize, just to give an example, that that truth telling for Christ followers really matters, and to be people that say uh, my reaction to a situation is a reaction to the facts of the situation, not the people involved or the perspectives of those involved, and to be able to say I want to engage with culture, I want to understand what's going on in the world through a lens of, to the best that I am able, through a lens of truth telling. Because God is truth, God cannot lie. Because Jesus talks about the freedom that is found in being a being a truth teller. So that's just one example of how I've tried to allow, again, I, I'm not, I, the biggest fool in the world is the one who thinks they have no biases, right? I, you oh, know, we all have our biases. We all have cultural biases just hardwired into us. But to be able to say, because of who Jesus is, I want to engage truthfully with the world around me, being aware of my biases and things that I might be inclined towards. And that's just one way that, that that I think my own faith has affected the way that I've tried to understand the world around me is just trying to be honest about what I'm seeing, not simply trying to say, okay, here's my perspective. How can I go about supporting supporting my perspective sort of regardless of any other evidence? Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. So uh, all these thoughts are you know bubbling up in my mind as you're talking. One of them is how cool is it that we started out from different directions and we're able to be on this podcast, right, yeah. where you had to figure out how Christ then impacted your worldview, whereas he built mine. Yeah. And so we're coming at it from two – so I think that's going to be a healthy perspective for our audience. Uh, the other thing is um, in a, in a, in a – 
similar way. I want to I want to use an analogy that um, may embarrass my brother. I hope not, but uh, uh, but he's not here. Bruce. If you're watching, sorry. Um, so my brother is a prosecutor. He is a um, and I won't even mention where he works and all that stuff. But he is a very high level uh, prosecutor. He's incredibly good at his job. Mm-hmm. Um, he has done some very very difficult things. So for example. He used to lead the uh, the sex crimes and capital murder cases. He has now become a higher supervisor. Well, in that, my brother is built as a black and white thinker, mm-hmm. truth and justice. And what's fascinating is you actually have a clash with the legal system if that is your viewpoint. Hmm. Because... Our legal system is not based on truth. It's based on what can be proven. So Mm -hmm. it's not about what's real. It's about what you can prove. So, for example, whether a criminal did it or didn't do it is not what the court system's designed for. It's designed to say what evidence and let's examine the evidence. Let's say you don't have the evidence. He still committed the crime. He will be set free. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And so what I've watched over the years my brother wrestle with is even though he's so brilliant and excellent at it, his heart wears very heavy because he's seeing bad guys get away because the system says they should get away. Mm-hmm. And he, that just is maddening to him. And so anyway, as you were talking and talking about there is a truth. And I think that you and I do share that. We are on the same page with my brother about going, no, we want to know what's true. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't care about what's popular as much as I care about what's true. I don't care about what sells as much as what's true. Mm-hmm. I don't care about what's as easy on my spirit. I want to know what's true. And I think engaging with culture, I want to know what's true. Right. Yeah. And I, I have a hard time believing that God, who is truth, would want us to engage with culture in any other way. Uh, <laughs> right? It just seems normal <laughs> it, to us. That's why we're doing this. It does. It does. So there are, I mean, throughout throughout history, lots of, of people that are way smarter than Lance and I have, have written about and, and theorized about some different ways that Christians can relate to the culture around us. And Lance and I are going to spend some time right now just talking through three different kind of approaches that uh, that have been presented for how Christians can engage. And, and the first, and, and some of these are taken from, uh, there's a classic book called Christ and Culture written by uh, Richard Niebuhr that was written in the 20th century. And, and the first of those is the perspective of Christianity against culture. Christianity against culture. Now, in this sort of perspective, the, the church is obviously, against culture. And this is a popular view amongst those who are maybe nervous about the fact that America has become post-Christian. Or in this view, the church can be either a bomb shelter, protecting the protecting Christians from from an evolving culture that is made perhaps going you know further and further away from the Lord in their in their view, uh, or the church is is actively combating culture and and oftentimes they draw inspiration from from verses like First Timothy six twelve that talk about fighting the good fight of faith and, and they see this perspective as Christians sort of resisting what is evil in the culture. So Lance, why don't you start us off with what what do you see? as some strengths and weaknesses of that sort of approach to culture. First of all, the the immediate the immediate strength I think is anytime you're talking about holiness and purity, 
you have to get into a defensive mindset. Uh, because what you're doing is you're trying to protect a sanctity or a specialness or a beauty or an innocence. And, and I think that it is appropriate in some ways to have that perspective because like, for example, it will, it'll say, be in the world, not of the world. The minute you say, don't be of the world, you automatically have an opposing. So Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that opposing is totally wrong. And as we engage with this, I'll talk about for a second, some challenges there, but, but I think that the pros are, uh, let's say for example, uh, God talks to Adam and Eve and he said, Hey, I got a tree here. And the tree says, it's a knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. You're going to know something. There's a bit of a curiosity, kill the cat here. It's, I put it in the middle of the garden. You got to walk by it every day. You're always around it. But I don't want you to deal with it. I need you to resist it. I need you to keep it away because there's things you don't want to know. Well, sure enough, they ate of it. And they, it opened their eyes, and they thought, oh, I engaged with it and all this stuff, and it wrecked them. Right. So I, I don't think it's totally inappropriate to get into this concept of I'm in a battle, I'm in a fight, there's things that are pressing me into their mold, I'm trying to resist that mold. So I think that fighting and resisting and protecting in many ways are entirely appropriate. I just feel like they get used to broad stroke everything. Right? Mm-hmm. And we yeah. get into some serious danger. Yeah. What do you see in terms of the, I mean, I obviously talked so a little bit about the pros. Cons. Yeah, yeah, some of the some of the cons. Uh, there, there, are, there are a number of cons, and I, and I agree with you. And, and it's interesting that you brought up holiness because that was the first thing that I thought of. Is, is there is this sense of we are different from the world, and that is a that is a positive thing. Uh, something I talked about in our in our worship services the last time I had the opportunity to preach was this idea of Christians living inspiring lives. And, and I believe that that as we engage with the Lord and we are in touch with how he has called us to live, I still believe that's inspiring to the outside world. Amen. No, I agree. Th- there is, and, and, and I wrestle with what I'm about to say a little bit, because I think there is a place for quote unquote uh, fighting, uh, unjust systems, things of that nature, protecting what is good, protecting human life, things of that nature. But in general, I think an antagonistic and angry posture is not inspiring. Is is not inspiring to It's the not world. inspiring to me or anybody it's, I know. Exactly. You know, how how many of us see someone who is grumpy, angry, always antagonistic, always complaining, and think, man, I I, I want whatever it is that is that is inspiring that I need more of that, exactly. more negativity. Now, again, I wrestle with that because you think about um you know, you think about the civil rights movement, right? And the the power that that was that sort of the the anger at oppression that was harnessed there to bring about extraordinary good, and how you needed that, but you needed it with a with a positive goal in mind, not just a posture of complaining and, and things of that nature. So, so all that to say, there are times when that level of antagonism is good, but I just don't find this posture of the world is bad. We're the good ones, and we need to huddle up and tell everyone else that they're bad and hope that they'll see that they're bad and want to come be a part of us. I'm like, nah, no thanks. I don't want that. No, it, it's <laughs> certainly not inspiring in that whole bubble concept, right? Where, yeah. But uh, so let me let me once again go back to the pros because I'm about to destroy this in the cons because right. I really think it's, it's <laughs> not a healthy view. But let me go back to the pros. So um, recently in teaching through the book of Ezra, I was trying to highlight out some different things. Now, the Jews had a very specific calling 
uh, as a nation. Mm -hmm. They were to be a theocracy. They were supposed to be unique. They were supposed to be holy and set apart. So they actually had rules that we don't even, they don't apply to anybody but right. this specific national Jewish call, right? Wait, so, you mean they don't apply to America? No, <laughs> no, no. And I'm talking about the whole thing where they're like, we can't intermix with other nations, sure. and we have to remain this this purity, because God was trying to do a very, very specific and unique work through them that it would have ruined it. It's not that he didn't like those other people. He was still loving on and caring for those other people. It's not that he's, not, he's against intermixing race and all. Th- that's garbage. The Jews had a very unique call to be different, right? Right. So when they have all those, when a lot of people try to jump into the Old Testament and use it as a modern-day lens, Mm -hmm. as a modern-day American or as a Gentile, it becomes absolutely absurd because we start saying, well, I can't do that, and you start citing Levitical law. (laughs) It's like, whoa, 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 you're way out of it, right? Um, But where I do think that this is true and this is what I was recently talking about because I, I, I taught on Ezra, but I reflected on how it is more modern as well, which yeah. is this. We have three enemies, right. the world, the flesh, the devil. Yeah. None of those are people. Right. That, that's the part that I think that this is where I'm going to kind of turn on this view mm-hmm. because we are supposed to resist the world. The world means the systems, the ideologies, the things that stand against God. Yeah. Any way that secularism or humanism, removing God, any of those systems, materialism, any of the systems of selfishness, actually that's not okay, and you are to resist that. The flesh is all the parts of you that is just messed up. We're not supposed to embrace that. We're supposed to resist it. The devil, he wants us dead. He has set up systems that hurt people. We are to dismantle those, right? I believe that in in that way, if you have the right enemy... You need to resist. You yes, need to fight. Absolutely. Here's my problem. This is where I turn on the whole entire thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not people. Right. And we tend to put this lens in that non-believers are bad and we resist them. Right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now you just ruin the whole point of what Jesus came to do. Yeah. Is he comes in here to seek and save that which was lost. No, we are supposed to be engaging with them. If you create a secret little, you know, society uh-huh. somewhere out there, which, you know, for example, all right, I have a lot of respect for the Amish. I don't think it's an effective way of integrating the world. I don't think it's a great way of impacting the world. Right. It's just not. I appreciate their being separate. I appreciate their being distinct. I appreciate that they're keeping parts of their culture. All I'm telling you is I'm never going to become Amish. Well, right. I live in a world where I want everyone to be a Christian, mm-hmm. and and people are who we are here to love. We can resist systems; they can be used as puppets, but they're not our ultimate enemy. Yeah, absolutely. we are to love people. Yeah, yeah, you're completely right about that. And and if the goal is the expansion of the kingdom, love is what is going to do that. Not not our anger and our constant judgment, right? I mean, because again, no one no one is drawn to that. Uh, obviously a lot more that could be said, but we're going to, we're going to move on. So the, so the next is sort of an opposite perspective and that is Christianity of culture. And in this perspective, the church is more of a mirror of culture. The church follows cultural progress and innovation 
Christians with this mindset tend to view their culture with very high esteem. There may be some small areas of disagreement, but for the most part, they view cultural progress as a benefit and not a threat. Uh, This perspective embraces sort of the gray areas that inevitably come from cultural progress, and it seeks to value the cultural contributions of humanity. Now, uh, I'm going to say a weakness, then I'll ask for your perspective, is that that this perspective tends to struggle to sufficiently see the ways that every culture is distorted by sin and brokenness. So, so Lance, what would you say? uh, Let's start with some strengths. What are some strengths of this, this view? Uh, I mean, as far as the strength, this one's going to quickly turn around and eat it alive. The first one is relatability. Mm -hmm. I think that relatability is, is excellent because if you're completely removed, then no one can touch you. If you're all in culture, everyone has access to you. So I think that there's a certain strength by saying, I'm walking in it, with it, we're all together. Everybody's in it. I get all your viewpoints. I'm swimming in the same stream. Relatability is very, very strong. So the problem is that becomes a temptation, especially for churches. How do I become so relatable? How do I become so relatable that all of a sudden we start, it's kind of the frog in the kettle thing, right? Sure. Where the, the, the temperature's going up and he doesn't even realize it, right? Yeah. He doesn't hop out until he's cooked alive. So I, I think the, the other thing, and just to turn on it as well, is, and I think this is the one that would probably agitate you and me the most, <laughs> and that is adjustment of truth. Yeah. That culture defines truth in this mode, and the church has to run to catch up with what has the world says is true, right. and then how do we put Jesus in their new truth? Yeah. That's a huge problem. So for me, that is, it's an automatic, you know, got to hit that gong symbol, right. just going, I can't, I can't do that. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I certainly agree with you on that. I think a, a benefit to, to this perspective is is a willingness to just be honest about what's going on in the world. So, for example, um, we are we are modern modernity modernism is is largely in the past, and we are living in a postmodern world. We yeah. can we can rage against that as much as we want, but it's sort of like raging against gravity. It's like, well, it's there. So you need to learn to speak the language of faith to a postmodern world. Now that doesn't mean we become unmoored from the truth of of our of our faith, but it does mean. We have to recognize the language of the culture around us. Uh, similarly, and I almost brought this up during the, the the Christianity Against Culture segment, many would say, and I, I, the value of this phrase I'm not so sure of, many would say that our society is post-Christian. Now, I, that suggests that at some point it was, was Christian. very Christian, which I would dispute that. But I think the point is that Christianity is losing its cultural influence as yes. just sort of a, well, I'm an American, I'm a Christian, right? Uh, which perhaps we could talk about that, on, the value of that perspective on another episode. But again, the fact of the matter is we are living in a largely post-Christian world. Yes. So, so the way that we have to go about communicating our faith is just different than it was maybe before. We can assume less knowledge. We can assume less baseline understanding. So we have to be able to, not in an angry, oh, the world is so post-Christian kind of way, but we have to be able to engage the world understanding fewer people have a church background, fewer people know the basics of our faith and be willing to do that. Now, the the challenge, of course, is you lose your distinctiveness. Yep. Ecclesia, the Greek word for church, you, we, we know this, it means the called out ones, right? That there is meant to be something about the church, big C, capital C church, that is distinct from the world, that the world is meant to look at Christ followers and see a level of community, a level of love, a 
a morality, and that word has its own baggage that comes with it, but a morality that is inspiring in terms of generosity, in terms of love for each other, in terms of faithfulness to one another. And that is meant to be a way that we impact the world. I mean, Jesus talks about salt, light, things of that nature. We're supposed to be that to a culture. And if all we're doing is mirroring, we lose that sense of of distinctiveness, which is destructive for us personally because we're less engaged and less, you know, we're less connected with, with how God has called us to live. And then it's destructive to our witness because the world is looking at the church and saying, well, it's just it's just like me. There, I see there's nothing there that I want because they're exactly like me. Yeah. No, uh, so brilliantly said. I, I, I think that I was just jotting down notes while you're talking. Yeah. I think that one of the strengths of this perspective that we can carry forward is I think we need to change our methods, not change our core values. Yes. Because methods need to adjust with culture. So for example, it used to be a time where people answered their front door Mm -hmm. and you could go door-to-door evangelism. Mm -hmm. I think now that is insulting. I think it's offensive. Mm -hmm. And so you change your method. You don't change the fact that you want to evangelize. You evangelize differently. In the same way, I think that when we're in a post-Christian world, or a post-Christian, certainly, culture in America, then it means that we have less common ground to start with. You have to realize you're a missionary. You're in a foreign culture. You used to be able to say things like, man, you know what? Jesus died for our sins, and people knew what you meant. That doesn't work anymore. You can't start there. You started way down the road. What is sin, and what are you talking about? I don't even believe in truth. We used to all agree that there was absolute truth. Now mm-hmm. everything's relative. So in other words, you have to back up and go a different way. Yeah. And some people may be frustrated and go, you know what? The pe- other Everybody else needs to change. I think that's poor leadership. Yes. I think great leadership takes people from where they're really at, moves them to where they need to be, as opposed to just yelling at them to move. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And I, and and it is in that ability to recognize what is going on and how can we adjust our methods to to appropriately connect to, relate to and speak the language of the culture that we're going to be most effective. I mean, you think about, you know, Paul at Mars Hill in the book of Acts, like he is he is bringing a message of truth of who of who God is and he is speaking the language of the culture around him. So he's not he's not accommodating culture to the point where he's losing his focus on the gospel, where he's losing his Christian distinctiveness, but he is he is not so foreign in the language that he's using, so foreign in the values he's espousing, even that the that everyone else is looking at him saying, dude, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, like he's able to accommodate the culture to that extent. And and in my view, that's that's a pretty healthy thing to do. I do think one other positive is I think the church needs to continually revisit what hills they're dying on. So, for example, I, there was a season, and I'm probably going to offend more people. I'm, I'm pretty good at offending people, actually. All right, episode one, here we go. Here we go. 25 minutes in. 25 minutes in, Lance gets offensive. <laughs> um, for example, there was a time and a season when the church was very much against playing cards. Yeah. Uh, it, it was considered some type of gambling. It was, you know, don't play dice, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think that when culture shifted, because at one point everybody was like, ooh, that's dangerous. <laughs> you know, oh, you're playing poker or canasta or whatever, yeah. bridge. I think that when culture changed over and went, you know, actually, we don't look at it like that. It's actually just a game. If church held on to that and didn't accommodate, they would look like they're naive, mm-hmm. ignorant, and foolish. Yeah. And you had to let that go because was God really against playing Uno? 
You know what I'm saying? Like that's at some point it becomes silliness, and the church needs to revisit and go, wait, wait, wait. Why were we against this in the first place? And has culture shifted the meaning? Just like words have shifted meaning, cultural concepts and customs change. Right. And see, and that perspective, I think he's on something that's so important is whether. And I think the oh, hey, we're all against playing cards is 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 a great example because to me that is rooted in fear. Absolutely, it's rooted in. In we need to have this sort of tight little box that we live in, and if we allow any deviation from that, it's all going to p- fall apart. I think about uh, – I joke sometimes that I don't know how to raise Christian kids. I've got a couple of kids. I'm trying to raise them to follow Christ. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to do it. I've never seen it done. I'm learning on the job, right? Totally. And and is there obviously a place for me to teach them, hey, we don't do these things? Absolutely. Any parent would do that. And and and, and I think as, as Christ followers, even as adults, there's a place for that. But in general, I want my perspective towards my kids as they get older to be pointing them to the beauty of Christ, seeing uh, the value of following him. And then allow that to trickle down to the way that they engage culture rather than saying, we, uh, we don't do this, we don't do that, we don't do this, we don't do that. Isn't this fun, kids? You know, so to be able to have a more positive view of we follow Jesus because he's beautiful and because he's wonderful and because following him is the path of life. And then that is going to help. I want to give my kids, just as I want this myself, it's going to give my kids sort of the framework through which they make decisions. There are certain things for me as a Christ follower that are not appealing to me because I've seen the value of Jesus. So I don't, there are certain things in my life, there's whether it's media that I don't consume or just things I don't do, not because I'm trying to keep a rule, but because I'm saying, no, 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 I've seen the value of following Christ and I want to pursue that. And this is going to keep me from that rather than just saying, I need to not do this. Why? It's because we just don't. Again, I just don't think that's inspiring. It's certainly not. I mean, if you're going to be all about morality, and I need us to understand that morality and Christianity are not the same thing. If you're going to be all about morality, it's going to create rules and regulations. I think relationship takes it into a whole other piece. The other thing that I think you said that was so beautiful is we need to be thinking about what are we for, not living against. What what am I against? What am I against? What am I against? I don't think that's wise. Um, And then I would also say that um, one thing I heard a long, long time ago that uh, never left my mind was that Christianity has to be more than sin management. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's just a powerful statement for me. Right. Uh, And then the last thing I'll say, and we'll hit that last piece, is um, just as you're trying to guide your children into that, I think that is the very same thing that you and I as spiritual parents mm-hmm. uh, in this podcast. Right. We're literally trying to do the same thing. Yeah. I'm not interested in having a podcast where we try to put out a bunch of rules and regulations so somebody fits a mold. Yeah. I think you and I are trying to give framework and we say, you guys, I just want you to be healthy and I want you to run towards Jesus, yeah. not just away from sin. And don't be afraid. Don't don't be afraid. <laughs> so yeah, okay. So we are, are running low on time, but we want to hit the last one here, and that is Christianity in and for culture. In this perspective, Christians are representatives of Christ who live their lives in the midst of and for the good of their cultural context. It's it's an environment where where Christians live uh, characterized by obedience and witness. Uh, this perspective embraces the idea that Christians are to be Christ's ambassadors in culture. Paul talks about this in Second Corinthians. Chapter 
chapter five. Christians are to live within their cultural contexts, contexts, excuse me, while seeking to steer cultural realities towards Christ rather than the the idols or values of culture that we might not necessarily agree with. Uh, this doesn't mean we agree with everything in culture, but we learn to understand culture, speak its language, identify its desires, all with the intention of showing how Christ is the one who fulfills those desires most fully. Uh, I think we would both agree, we didn't talk about this specifically beforehand, we would both agree this is probably the healthiest of the three. It's where we come from. What do you what, what do you like about it? Well, one of the things is I think back that Paul was a tent maker, and I think that he then can relate to a bunch of people that have a full-time job. Yeah. I mean, eventually he went into full-time ministry, but he started out, and one of the reasons he was relatable mm-hmm. is that he was going, guys, I know what it is to have a busy life. Yeah. Guys, I know what it is to try to make a living. Yeah. As opposed to being in some community that's off in the hills in a monastery somewhere, where they're getting offerings from somebody, and they live on very tiny subsistence. Um because then there's no relatability. The other people go, you don't understand me. You don't understand the pressures I'm going under. You don't understand. So I think that to some degree, uh, I love that engagement piece. Yeah. The other thing that I just want to highlight as we close out is that the world, and I don't mean the world in, in the bad sense. I mean the world around us, uh, planet Earth, society, there is a lot of good stuff that doesn't have a blatant Jesus tag on it. Yeah, that's and true. and what what I, I guess that's important for me to say is that I think that we go, well, if that person's not a Christian, then everything they must do is wrong. Yeah. That is so wrong because first of all, we have the image of God marked on the very core of our being. So first yeah. of all, God's going to bring a human being up to a certain level where he's going to move through them and bless them mm-hmm. regardless if they have a personal relationship with him. Right. Absolutely. And because of that, we can see God in all things. I think in poetry, I think in writing, I think in... Can't we just go, that is good? And if there's anything that's super good in our culture, probably started with God in the first place. Yeah, we can affirm it. We can celebrate it. We can praise God for it. I mean, just the gift of common grace, that there is beauty in the world that, like you said, doesn't necessarily have have the tag on it. And I think, and I think when... When our hearts are ultimately captured by Jesus, we can see that beauty in the world and just celebrate it for what it is, know that we're meant to praise God for it, and know that just because a song doesn't mention Jesus every two minutes doesn't mean that, uh, doesn't mean that it's not Amen. a beautiful, God-glorifying song, right? And of course, there are, are numerous different applications for that. I think the bottom line is culture, first of all, culture is a very broad term. Secondly, uh, we are called to live in the world. We're not called to be of the world, but we are called to be in the world. That means we need to understand and be for culture. I think about, we're talking about Ezra coming out of the Babylonian exile. I think about Jeremiah when they're going into the exile and God says through Jeremiah, seek the good of the city in which I've sent you into exiles, into exiles, right? Like we're not exiled in the same way, but the same way we live as though our earth is not our home. And I think that that is a, even though that was a situation specific command i think there's wisdom today to say let's seek the good of the city let's seek the good of the world and as we do that through a christian lens i think we're going to see good things happen i mean daniel nehemiah all these guys joseph they made bank yeah. for their bosses who weren't following god yeah. they brought blessing into their culture and without getting too much into that i just right. wanted to highlight out the fact that this is all a very fake conversation i realize and here's why <laughs> here's why 
I wonder what Lance and Brian thinks. I don't know. Their podcast is called Engaging Culture. <laughs> I was like, hey, wait a second. You were leading me down a path, and you knew I was going to select number three because it's in our name. You kind of had to know we probably weren't going to land on number one. Like, <laughs> right. you know, guys, listen to us tell you how terrible the world is. That's that's it. Right. So, uh, well, hey, this was a lot of fun. Uh, a couple of resources that I just want to recommend for those of you that want to go deeper with the subject. I'm listening to a tremendous book right now uh, called Onward, Engaging the Culture Without Losing the Gospel by Russell D. Moore. It's just absolutely outstanding. It really gets into the the nuts and bolts of how do we engage culture in a healthy manner. And another book that's really uh, inspired a lot of my thinking is by uh, by a guy named Andy Crouch, who currently or formerly was the editor of Christianity Today. It's called Culture Making. It's terrific. So would recommend those. Uh, I only read the Bible. Lance only reads the Bible because every other book is evil, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. So... Thanks so much to all of you for joining us today. Our next episode will be on June 20th. We'll all be joined by Bridgeway's young adult pastor, Brian Hopper. We'll be having a conversation about diversity and unity within the body of Christ. What is it that makes Christians distinct? And what are some issues where there's room for Christians uh, to perhaps think a little bit differently? That's going to be an interesting conversation, and I'm really looking forward to it. So thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you for listening to Engaging Culture, a podcast by Bridgeway Christian Church. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Music is used under the Creative Commons license and is provided by Dexter Britton.